It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It is the first day of February. It is another installment of J.C. and Morgan. J.C. is out today. He's got some things to attend to, not to mention uh, a, a busy man with this being the second installment of National Signing Day. Uh, trust me, we will get his thoughts on all of it. He'll give a more of a micro look. Uh, we'll give more of a macro. J.C., of course, still, uh, for my money, I'm biased as good as anybody in the business at really putting recruiting in, into perspective, not just breaking down one particular athlete. He used to do that as a full-time gig for ESPN and, and others, but uh, but just kind of seeing the overall landscape and making heads or tails of where it's going and trends and everything else. Uh, the, the interesting thing about it um, is that of the ESPN 300, for example, and we'll go through with the 24-7 rankings since that's who JC is affiliated with, but I was watching some of the coverage today on ESPN of the of the top 300, 293 had already signed in the first period. <laughs> so we were down to the final seven, uh, one of which went to the Gamecocks, one of which went to Oregon, one of which went to, you guessed it, Georgia. Uh, but, but for the most part, I mean, this is not nearly the spectacle that it used to be because December's the early signing period has become so big. So we'll get into that and a number of other uh, odds and ends and uh, anything that is an excuse to get into college football and a little bit of a, a break away from that, a little pop culture at the end as well. Going to have some fun with that. And of course, uh, one guy who was on top of pop culture as much as anybody when he's not touring with bands, uh, he is producing this fine podcast. And today he is doing double duty, uh, sitting in for JC. Uh, he is Michael Haney. He joins us now wearing a, a ski cap and glasses just to kind of paint the picture. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. I know this is, um, you know, not a visual medium for a vast majority, but this is a little bit different look for me uh, than yeah. I have. So, yeah, just kind of cozy here in Nashville. It's uh, been freezing rain for a few days and um, far from the the uh, sunny temperatures that I just got back from, from my last excursion to the Dominican. Go ahead. Make everybody jealous. Tell me where you uh, were. Yeah, I was uh, working with with uh, my good friend, Sister Hazel, on the rock boat. And uh, we had to sail the Caribbean and, and have a good time and uh, finally feel like a human being again, which is why we're doing this podcast today. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've been I've been pushing you off. I'm like, no, no. OK, now I'm, now I'm good. I'm good. Let's yeah. Go. Well, you had to, you know, uh, you had to detox, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course, sure. from, uh, from, from those trips and, and now you're good to go and you're, you're, you're back in. I like to think that even when we break away from the college football universe, it, it, it we're never completely out. It's like Godfather three, you know, just when you think you're out, it, it pulls you back in one way or another. Um, and as we talk about so often on this podcast, it really has become a 12 month out of the year sport. Hence, here we are in February. There's no games, but there's still uh, plenty of stuff uh, uh, to discuss. When when you go back to your days of being in, in the daily talk show world, as I was, as, as JC kind of still is now uh, to this day, and when you think of 
national signing day. Like I remember when I first started to make recruiting calls as a student reporter and then following up on that and then having the Jamie Newbergs of the world, for those who remember him as a recruiting analyst and then Bill King. And then, you know, eventually I would meet the the, the JC Sherberts of the world, kind of the new wave of recruiting experts. I've worked with Tom Luganbill, who's uh, donated so much time to, to all of this. But when you think back to it, and you see how it's changed over the last, I don't know, decade. What 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 do you make out of it? Heads or tails on on the way that recruiting has evolved? Well, especially, you know, the last few years as we've branched into the NIL world and, and the, the transfer portal world, it's it's completely changed. I mean, just this year alone, obviously, you know, throw in a, you know, once in a generation uh, pandemic situation that that changes the rules for it all. I mean, everything, Mike, just within the last two and a half, three years has changed drastically, not just within the last decade. I, I think there's just been so much that's happened uh, just recently as we're all trying to understand and figure out exactly where and how this uh, this thing is going to go. Well, you're absolutely right. The biggest difference is the early signing period and that today, uh, the National Signing Day in February was always the big day. Um, and, and it was the anticipation that built up to it. And now that's not the thing, but uh, factoring in, uh, you know, de facto free agency with the transfer portal, uh, hmm. coaches trying to figure out how they're going to fill roster spots and, and who they can go back and recruit now, as opposed to somebody that maybe they had put on the shelf because suddenly they have roster holes, uh, because somebody that they didn't expect to enter the portal, uh, because they got their head turned by, you know, somebody else that maybe uh, offered them a, a little bit to something extra to come and play for their extra year or two. Uh, all of those things are are, uh, are different and, and new for all of us and, and just trying to understand and wrap your mind around all of those moving parts. Uh, it can give you whiplash, to be honest with you. It really can. And, and on one hand, so much has radically changed in the process. And you mentioned de facto free agency. I mean, that's what it is. We're basically, we're dealing with free agency and the, the Rashada case, I think will go down as uh, that would be a bookmark of if, and when this thing is cleaned up a bit, something like that particular specific situation. I know we'll get into it later on the hot 85. You know, that will go down as one, reference point of this is where we realized it's a mess and it has to be cleaned up and by mess i don't mean that that players getting extra compensation is the mess that's never been the message for many of us on this podcast it's just the fact that without any guardrails i mean cheating has been going on in college football without nil for a hundred years do you really think when you actually give some more rope to the people that are in charge of a accumulating talent at these particular schools that they're not going to find an edge and not going to go to where the money is and now do it in the guise of nil true name image likeness and market value i mean that's not what this is we can call it nil all we want it's not nil um and we can call transferring you know kind of this innocuous thing where a young man just wants what's best for his future but really what's going on is players even some of the ones that are playing like they're these aren't just kids riding the bench that are disgruntled these are kids that are playing but they're putting their name out there and they're saying where's the highest bidder and some might say well that works in the NFL well in the NFL the players have a contract 
So if you have a five-year deal, you have to you have to honor the five years before you can just go out there and your agent says, Hey, this my client's an unrestricted free agent. Let the order, let the 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 bids pour in. That's we don't even do that right now. <laughs> it's just utter chaos. But what I, where I was going with that, and I'm sorry for the long windup, is that when you look at all the changes, and then I'm looking at this is 24-7 sports. So here we are, we're recording this in the afternoon where almost everybody has, uh, excuse me, has uh, has signed on, right? Almost everybody is committed. I'm sure there's a few stragglers out there, but it's not going to move the, the meter much more than it already is. Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Texas 3, Oklahoma 4, and you know Brent Venables had plenty to sell after a dismal season. Like, help me turn this thing back around. Ohio State 5, LSU 6, Miami 7, Oregon 8, Tennessee 9, Notre Dame 10. And then even if you expand it out to 15, Clemson, Southern Cal, Penn State, Florida, A&M. Like it's, these are not unfamiliar names to uh, the hierarchy of college football and, and schools that typically do very well in recruiting. So the more things change, the more things do stay the same. No, there's no doubt. And I think people... Uh maybe felt there would be some more parity and maybe to a point there will be that you'll see some schools in some areas that will get big time players that normally they wouldn't have been in the the conversation for because you can offer something a little bit extra, a little bit different uh, than that. But the reality is the rich are going to continue to get richer uh, in this game. And you might have those few that fly in every now and then, but I think as we talked going into the national championship game, Mike TCU, they're not, they're not stacked with four and five stars left and right. And and they made the case for, you know, good coaching and a good collective. And, you know, obviously you got to have some good luck. You can play for a national title. So uh, once we get this thing expanded to 12 teams, I'm, I'm curious to see exactly what kind of teams that are sort of on that bubble looking in to these teams like Alabama and Georgia and Texas, how we start to see more TCUs start to infiltrate, uh, you know, the, that playoff run in the future years. Yeah, by the way, TCU cashed in on that a great story. They're 19th. I'm not used to seeing TCU top 20 in a recruiting uh, ranking. So Coach Dykes wisely parlaying his uh, great and memorable season into some momentum into, into recruiting. Uh, that's for sure. All right. Uh, we're going to keep this under an hour, so I, I want to get right into it. Hot Haney 5. We've missed it the last uh, couple of episodes. You have been out doing your thing, jet-setting the world providing entertainment to the masses uh, in the music world. What have you compiled here today? What are we looking at today? All right, Mike. Well, we got the long wind up to it, so I think it's it's finally time to fire this pitch right down the middle. Number one, <laughs> Jaden Rochata, the $13 million man, uh, initially committed to Florida because of uh, the NIL deal. I believe it was um, Eddie Rojas was the name, a former baseball player, investment advisor, uh, but um, – just didn't have any experience in how this thing was going, and it was uh, it was a house of cards. The whole thirteen million dollar deal. So Jaden Rashada got out of his and uh, got out of his um, letter of intent with Florida, uh, and he is now committed to Arizona State. So if you're wondering where the Jaden Rashada uh, saga uh, ended, it will be at Arizona State. Although again, nowadays we don't know if the saga is completely over because. As we uh, just stated in the last few minutes, I think these kids are continually being recruited year after year, no matter what, with the transfer portal being an option for them. But Jaden Rochada ends up at Arizona State, uh, one of the bigger names and bigger stories 
uh, out there. Uh, he him quoting that it was his uh, like boyhood dream school. Uh, I think his father went to school there. So there are some connections um, all along with uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils. But that's uh, the big news of today with the recruiting coming down to the uh, the $13 million man uh, from Florida to Arizona State. And uh, Mike, you were your thoughts and feelings on uh, again on how this all all went down. Well, to to JC's point, and he he's closer to it uh, than we are in terms of kind of knowing what's been going on behind the scenes with this young man. I mean, I've heard people on the Florida side give me their version. I know some people on the Miami side that have given me their version. Uh, but the one thing JC has been consistent with is that what we're seeing now is. And we used to call this in in the college baseball space, they had advisors because you weren't really allowed to have an agent. I don't even know if we have to hide anything anymore. These, these kids have agents. Rashada had an agent who was pitching him a place to place to place. And JC know, is more familiar with that particular individual than I am. But it sounds like he's not exactly maybe the uh, a, a bastion of what's best for the young men that he represents. I mean, in some, you could make the argument, well, the most money is the best thing for him. I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to think even when money is involved, you have to have an agent just kind of throwing a young man's uh, name around and services around. But apparently that was a big part of this whole thing. The Arizona state connection, you know what everybody's thinking. I mean, I get it. His dad played there and everything else, but people are thinking the same thing. If you want to go back to like Cam Newton and, 2010 what what did this young man get mm-hmm. to go to Arizona State I mean if the numbers were as high as 13 million what did he get to go to Arizona State does Arizona State I mean Arizona State just went through a whole transfer of power after the Herm Edwards uh situation I won't call it quite a debacle but it certainly bordered on that uh so what what's you know, what's the uh, what was the true package? I don't know if we'll ever know. That's the other thing about the whole setup now. Like, again, if we're going to compete, keep making NFL parallels in pro sports, everything is public record. I mean, it's it's all there for for the American public to see. And it's transparent. This is the terms of the deal. But we don't know. They, they don't have to, to my knowledge, uh really let anybody else know i mean i'm sure somewhere there's got to be a piece of paper that says the terms of the deal and eventually the ncaa is going to get more involved in this more on that in a moment but uh we'll, we'll never know what exactly he got so i i don't know i mean the, the kid is going to have a bullseye on him in terms of attention now where wherever he goes whatever he does is he going to be worth all the hype and the fact that he plays for arizona state I, I know like with Dion now and, and the Pac-12 should have a really great year in quarter, but look at the returning quarterbacks in that conference. They should be right up there leading the way with quarterback play in college football in 2023. However, it's still a league for those of us that don't live on the left coast or even those that do live on the left coast that doesn't get nearly the exposure and nearly the same fanfare. So Will Arizona State all of a sudden be like must-see TV because of Jaden Rashada? I I don't think so, but I am curious to see if we if we ever find out what the terms of the NIL deal was and what kind of player he turns out to be. 
Well, and again, I'm I'm all for anybody getting theirs, and it's not uh, you know hate the player, hate the game kind of thing for me. Like if somebody wants to pay him thirteen million, let them pay him thirteen million and, and figure it out. Uh, the the other side of that, and for any of these other uh, big time recruits that have come through, I mean, what's the rumored uh, the Tennessee quarterback that's coming in? There's the rumored like eight or nine million dollar package mm-hmm. uh, for, for him. It's a lot to throw at somebody that that still has to grow into their body and grow into their their role and, and learn. And a lot of these guys could be ready made at the next level, but it's not like college into the NFL where you've spent years conditioning and getting your body built up to go to that next level. High school to college is still quite a big jump, and to Huge. throw that kind of money around to anybody before they've ever stepped foot on a field, it's a really, really, really dangerous game uh, to, to be playing because you you start to stunt and potentially or potentially stunt uh, who these young men can become because, well, what, what honestly, what's there to work for, Mike, uh, beyond that? If you got given $13 million as a high school kid going into college, does that make you want to work harder or or not? I, I don't know. Right. I'm going to be honest with, with you. I'd be like, oh, cool. Uh, I mean, I don't really have to go to school and I can just show up and maybe pass some grades a little bit and I don't really have to do a damn thing. 13 million bucks is 13 million bucks. I I, I would be kind of content. I, I'm just being honest about who I am. Well, I especially know. when you were 19. Yeah. I mean, and there's people like that now that are in their 40s. We're talking about 19-year-olds and, and it really depends on the maturity of the, of the of the young man. I mean, some of us, I think, we're forced to grow up a little bit sooner than others, right? So I don't, I don't claim that all nineteen-year-olds are wired the same. I, I knew nineteen when I was nineteen. I knew nineteen-year-olds that still acted like they were twelve, and then they turned thirty, and then they were acting like they were mm, fifteen. Uh, and then there are other nineteen-year-olds that are well wise beyond their years, and you're just like, oh my goodness, that guy's going to be like president. Well, let's aim higher. He's going to be a CEO of a company or something someday because you could tell he's already got uh, the focus and the maturity and the professionalism. Everybody is is wired differently. That is for certain. I, I think I'll just, you know, put a cap on this subject with this way. And again, it kind of goes back to the whole NIL because I, I, I hear fans that have just they've had enough of hearing about it. They don't they don't like the setup. They're, they're not really thrilled with where we're headed in college sports, I think a lot of, I think most of the people that are disgruntled, if the money came after they did something in college, like does anybody care if Brock Bowers makes a lot of money next year at Georgia? He's been the best tight end in college football for a while now. He's only there because the NFL will not allow him to go to college, uh, to the pros right now. Um, You know, some of the returning quarterbacks that like Sam Hartman, these are these are established products that have already proven themselves. So to, to go back to your initial statement, uh, I don't mind if they get theirs. I think most fans agree with that. But it's but what's the incentive? You know, when, when you see uh, an incentive laden contract in the NFL, you know, there's a oh, that's not as much money on the front end. But then the back end, if they accomplish X, Y, Z, become an yeah. all pro, you know, have a certain number of catches in a given year, score a number of touchdowns in a year. Again, we don't know the fine details of whatever this was going to be at Florida, uh, and maybe that could have been part of it, but I think that's that's what you're getting at is maybe you give a, an initial thing to come here, and then if you hit X, Y, and Z, then we'll give you the rest. Well, yeah, and and I mean, again, even if you, even if you are motivated, you can still be a bust. Like most of the five-star kids 
and quarterbacks that went on to play big time college football and busted. It wasn't because they necessarily lacked motivation or they didn't study or they, you know, were, were, were just kind of knuckleheads. A lot of them just weren't good enough. Uh, we've seen this all the time. So when fans of their particular school hear about a young man that gets all this money and then they come to campus and then they flop. I mean, I'm seeing this now in college basketball. There are, I, I hear the numbers. They're not made public, but I hear the numbers from uh, rival coaches, et cetera, et cetera, what some young players are getting. And basketball players, quite honestly, are a lot easier to project than an 18, 19 year old high school quarterback. Like you can go to an AAU tournament or a Nike camp and you can see a five star kid and be like, yeah, he's going to be in the NBA. It's a lot harder to do that with a high school quarterback. But even some of the basketball players have gotten paid, NIL, and they they are not panning out and they are not working out. And it's it's you know, it's almost like dead money. So I, I think that's where a lot of people are are getting uh a little bit just discouraged and turned off by where we are. Doesn't mean they're gonna stop falling. And and I've always said that it, it's like the it's like the the diehard baseball fan that after the 94 strikes and I'm never coming back. Well, you, you came back. If you really love baseball, you came back. If you love college football, you've already been through so much crap and so much silliness with how we determine a national championship and politics and all this other stuff. If you love the game, you're not going anywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's always, you're always going to have that passion for it, but you're still going to be a little bit turned off by what's going on and you're going to let that be known and in some ways what is how does a fan let it be known well if they're in the stands they'll boo when that kid that's making 13 million dollars doesn't perform uh or they'll race to a message board and some in some cases write some repugnant stuff which you shouldn't do uh or they just won't show up and they won't give money anymore and they'll become a little bit apathetic in that way they'll still watch on tv and they'll still pull for their team or school but maybe uh, their their commitment to putting their fannies in the seats might decline. So I think all that's happening at the same time. And I I try not to go to just take a a ticket down the uh negative avenue on the whole setup because I do think it's going to be cleaned up eventually. I just don't think we're there yet. No, no, not at all. And uh, speaking of cleaning things up, we'll move on to number two. Um, this comes from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. I don't want to read this entire article, but I do think that it's important for me to read some of it to give context here. But the uh, headline of the article is the doors are opening for NCAA to close in on NIL violations. So uh, using uh, the Jaden Rashada, uh, a $13 million deal at Florida as a jumping off point, NCAA Vice President of Enforcement John Duncan delivered a message to a crowd of administrators at the NCAA's annual convention uh, saying that the NCAA and its enforcement staff will no longer be hamstrung by uncooperative witnesses when it comes to potential NIL violations thanks to a new bylaw that went into effect at the start of the year, um, investigators can now use circumstantial evidence like tips or a news story instead of on record sourcing to presume a school violated NCAA rules. Uh, it's up to the schools to disprove the allegation or else be potentially 
charged. Uh, I'll give you one quote, Mike, and then I'll throw it to you. Uh, Duncan says, quote, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Instead of putting the burden on the enforcement staff to always come up with a smoking gun, which we don't always have, there is a presumption. It puts the burden on the school. It's a really powerful tool, end quote. Uh, Mike, your uh, feelings on uh, John Duncan, the NCAA vice president of enforcement, uh, basically saying, yes, yeah, circumstantial evidence is good to go, and it's going to be on the schools now to prove that what anything anybody says about them and tries to throw at them uh, is false. I know one thing. John Duncan sounds like the life of a party. I mean, when, when <laughs> I have my Super Bowl party, I want John Duncan. I want him bringing the chips and the guac. Sounds bring like it just savory checks mix, baby. Oh, yeah. More fun than a, than a barrel of monkeys, that guy. Um, no, in all seriousness, look, I, I, I think I think there's a lot of stuff there that every coach I've talked to wants to see. Um, even the ones that are getting elite uh, players in recruiting classes don't like the system now because it's making them work harder, quite frankly. It's taking their focus over getting breaking down film and actually coaching players and becoming better players, and it's all about player acquisition and keeping players on your roster, as I pointed out several times, it's not just pay for play, it's pay for stay. So I, I think this is what people that are truly concerned about the health of the sport want. I still have my doubts on a rather feckless NCAA, how all of a sudden they regain their, you know, their power. It, it just seems like after being dunked on by the Supreme Court and they've kind of like an ostrich, put their heads in the sand here of late and and turned the other cheek and watched everything go on. And it's almost like they're kind of they're kind of giving uh giving everybody that's criticized them the finger going, okay, you think we're the bad guys? Go ahead. See how it goes now. Uh, see how it goes without us playing, you know, the bad cop. See see how the the inner mechanisms of of college athletics operate without a true governing board with with any authority. So I, I don't know how they get all that authority back all of a sudden because I still think at any time the conferences can just say, look, pat, it could pat the NCAA on the head in Indianapolis and say, thank you. Um, we appreciate your efforts, but we're going to do this on our own. So I I think it's a great idea in theory that, that that's – that they're trying to crack down on stuff. I don't know about the burden of proof. Like you accuse me of something and then I have to prove that I didn't do it. That doesn't seem, doesn't seem really um, the way things are done legally in this country. Yeah. 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 But I, but I, I mean, I like the idea that they're all of a sudden they're trying to get off the sideline and get back in the game. I, I don't need them to worry about, you know, a kid getting an extra benefit of like a free suit anymore, but they do need some type of governing body, a.k.a. guardrails, to keep this thing from going completely amok. Uh, Duncan did say that uh, in spite of the absence of announced penalties, NCAA officials have opened investigations into programs around NIL-related matters some of which have been closed without penalties and others that remain active. Uh, he did not identify the schools that they have open inquiries or full-scale investigations and uh, would not reveal the number of schools involved, though it is believed uh, to be more than a dozen. So, yeah, they're they're yeah. doing some work behind the scenes with this. Curious if anything 
comes uh, of it. But uh, again, while he did not specifically uh, mention, I do want to to circle back around and and be correct on that. He did not specifically mention uh, the Rashada case. It, it was it was very clear what he was talking about uh, right. in, in that situation uh, with it. So yeah, I'm curious to see where, where this goes and. And, uh, and and what exactly they can do. But as we just said, how much of this, if a school really wants to fight back against it um, and say, yeah, it's, a, it's basically a he said, he said, or he said, she said in this situation, somebody's accusing us of something and you're telling me I got to I got to say no, like I, I got to prove it. OK, good luck. You know, do do your worst. Um, it will. I'll see you in court. That That's what right. it feels like it would be uh, in this situation. Well, moving on to uh, more pleasant things, uh, Mike, I, <laughs> I do think that uh, that Championship Sunday is one of the finest sports weekends uh, of the year, although uh, my 49ers were, uh, as, as as ESPN just so kindly put it on the, the ticker, um, you know, Eagles romp punchless 49ers. Uh, it was uh, it was pretty much gone from the get-go once Brock Purdy uh, was was done. They couldn't throw the ball down the field consistently, uh, but overall, they get made up for it with the Chiefs and Bengals game. You got some interesting information about uh, the, the recruiting and kind of where things were for the four quarterbacks that actually got to play in those games. And again, unfortunately, Brock Purdy didn't get to showcase much. But yeah. uh, interesting background in case, speaking of recruiting and sort of where all these guys ended up playing in the conference title games for their respective teams at the next level. That's right. By the way, I didn't know you were a 49er fan. This is oh. This is news to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if was, you don't was, by now, Mike, you never, never. Was that after Dwight Clark caught the pass? Is that when you became a 49er fan? You would have been like um, a zygote at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm 41. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and throw my age out there. And my my initial uh, interaction uh, uh, with it all was was Joe Montana leading into the the 87 season and 87 Super Bowl against the Bills. Okay. So yeah. yeah, Stanford Jennings returning the kickoff and then watching Montana lead the lead the drive down the field that was the, it sold the drive where in the middle of it he he in the huddle says hey guys look at that over there in the, in the first row that's john candy yeah yeah famous oh, famous noticed. moment in super bowl history um by the way the, the the second game lived up to it thank goodness the first game was almost unwatchable when you're down your fourth string quarterback and for those that think like oh just put a skirt on him you know curl magnum man that uh thinks that hitting quarterbacks in the knees and I, I realize it, it's over called and improperly called too often I get upset and frustrated with that as well but this is why you protect quarterbacks because no one wants to watch no one wants to watch a, an offense that doesn't have a, a suitable quarterback I mean, that was a joke that was an absolute joke it's disappointing um and we see it in the college game as well when you lose your starting quarterback and you got to rely on like a, a freshman that's never gotten snaps. You could just, you could feel your season just crumbling at that point. But yeah, this is from our friend Connor O'Gara, who we've had on the podcast. I've always said uh, his tweet game is pretty strong. He's, he pointed this out on championship weekend and the four starting quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes, three-star recruit. Um, again, I called a couple of his games at Texas tech in college. He was good, but he wasn't, really in terms of like productivity any better than Graham Harrell or so many of the other quarterbacks that played in that uh Mike Leach system even though it wasn't Mike Leach anymore at that time uh Joe Burrow who had to transfer before year four to become a starter Jalen Hurts who was benched after starting two years at Alabama 
and Brock Purdy of Iowa State, who was rated number 839 in the 2018 recruiting class and later became Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft. I thought that was really well done, even though, you know, three of those guys were first round. Well, what was Jalen Hurts? Uh, Mahomes and Burrow were first round draft picks. Hurts was not. Uh, I can't remember exactly where Jalen Hurts went, but they were all, I mean, they were all highly uh, touted in the NFL draft. Purdy was a complete afterthought. But the point is, it it wasn't like the, you know, like a Manning brother path to the NFL championship a weekend. They all had adversity. Some of them flew completely under the radar. Some of them had to transfer. Some of them got benched. Uh, and, and one of them was a complete unknown out of high school. So I, I thought that was pretty neat instead of the typical story of five-star blue chip, Heisman Trophy winner, and, and about to go to the Super Bowl. That That's actually more the exception than the rule. Late second-round pick for Jalen There Hurt. we go. Yeah. Uh, number yeah I know it wasn't the first. Uh, late second for, for Jalen Hurts, and obviously that has paid off. It could pay off big time if he winds up winning the Super Bowl uh, uh, a week from from Sunday. And by the way, I mean it, it. To go back to the to one other point, it's a thrill to watch like Mahomes and Burrow go back and forth. Um, I realized Burrow took some some daggers. I, I mean, I don't think Joe Burrow ever besmirched Pat Mahomes. But those those two are both class acts. They're they're confident in what they do, and they both put on a show. Uh, the Burrow fourth down throw, forty yards down the field. I mean, talk about stones. My goodness. Uh, I mean, they were both terrific. But at the end of the day. Costly penalties, some horrific officiating, and Kansas City's going on to another Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Chiefs. Congratulations to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Yeah, and it's it, we. This won't be the last we see of Joe Burrow. Uh, no, playing for a playing for a conference title or or a Super Bowl. I'm um, I'm pretty sure that uh, he'll be back again very very soon with that. Um, but yeah, no, it's going to be a good one. We'll we'll get into some Super Bowl talk, I'm sure, uh, as we uh, move along. If not today, for the next episode, as well. Um, but what's always big on, on the mind, Mike? If it's not the coaching carousel, it's the actual school carousel and, and conference realignment, and something that we've known that was going to happen for a while. As we move on to uh, question number four or topic number four, uh, the Big Twelve uh, was released its uh, 2023 football schedule as a new 14-team conference: Cincinnati, Houston. UCF as well as BYU are now in uh, the Big 12 now. So don't get uh, completely confused. I know it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. I still think at times Maryland is in the ACC. I have not gotten over the fact that they're in the Big 10. It is my. I'm with you. Oh, yeah. I can't. I'm like, wait. I have a brain block with that. I do. I'm like, oh, cool. Maryland's playing Nebraska. That's a a conference (laughs) game. Big 10 game. So uh, we see uh, Cincy, Houston, UCF, BYU coming in. I mean, just right off the bat for you, uh, I mean, UCF now, they're playing with the with the big dogs now. There's there's no more AAC for, for UCF. They're, they're the school that's, that's growing up and, and doing well along with some of these others. But out of these four, let's just uh, throw it at you. Who do you think is going to have the most successful inaugural year in the Big 12? Oh wow! Uh, specifically in year one, um, I will you know, without breaking down the rosters right off the bat here on on February the first. But I'll I'll go with UCF. I I I think UCF. You know, again, they've already had some some breakout years. 
Uh, I, I love the Gus bus there. And now they've, they've, they've always been able to find those quote unquote leftover kids in the state of Florida, which are still damn good players. But now with it, with a power five conference designation, I think they'll be able to get even more. Uh, they had a little bit of a, a, for them down year last year, but I think UCF's got a chance to do some, some really good things uh, in, in the coming years in that league. It was weird watching the recruiting rankings today, and it says Big 12, and then they're going through like you know the rankings, and then I see, and in ninth place, BYU. And I, again, I, it was a head I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, BYU. Is, it's like this is not happening five years down the road. This is happening now. And September the 16th, TCU hosting Houston. That is a Big 12 game. In 2023, now it's it's happening. First time those uh, old Southwest Conference rivals have met since 2007. Uh, look, I've, I've said this before. I think the Big 12 did an outstanding job of salvaging a bad situation. Like th- that was a stunner. That's a it's a Mike Tyson circa 1987 uppercut when Texas and Oklahoma wind up telling you they're leaving for the SEC. But what do they do? I think they make four really good additions in BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Uh, Brett Yormack is now the the new commissioner. They've got their TV deal, unlike the Pac-12, is settled with ESPN and Fox. So they they know what their future is. I, I think they're on solid ground. They might not be done. I mean, they're still, you know, there's there's still some clouds of smoke that you're waiting for maybe one more wave of, uh, of expansion to, to happen. But for right now, I think they're in good shape. And I think the, the conference slate will look good. Look, losing Texas, Oklahoma, make no mistake about it. It's a loss. I mean, it's, it, it's a blow to the overall big 12 system that, that those are two major brands, but you don't have time to cry about it and, and just kind of sulk about it. What they did is they got to work. And what they did when they got to work was add four good programs in three really good markets, not to mention BYU. BYU for years has had their own television network. I've never been that way. I've never spent a whole lot of time in Utah. I'd love to do a game there. Um, But but they have a huge following base, uh, excuse me, a huge fan base and a huge following as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, I think the uh, the release of the schedule has some intriguing matchups on it, and I think people will adjust to the the new additions quickly. Well, I get ready for the hype train on on week one. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not even looking at the schedule uh, right now, so I have no idea who all else is on week one. And I know you've got the you've got the Atlanta games. You got a lot of these. Um, we got a lot of these neutral site games that happen. But I'm I'm already preparing myself for the hype around TCU playing Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffaloes in week one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, by the way, Colorado was, they, I forget exactly where they're recruiting uh, class, but it was top 25 in the, in the lower part, I believe. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the, look, the, my prediction, little prediction from between friends, I think, I think there's going to be a little bit of Dion overload, a little Dion fatigue with the way this thing is covered. Like it's, it's, we're past the feel good story of Jackson state. Now it's like, okay, when Dion scratches himself, we we've got to get a report on it. You know where it was, how long the nails were. 
uh, and what was the uh, overall intensity of the scratch? Like, I, I, it, there comes a point in time where is it a I phantom think, itch? Did he even get the real one? Right. It, was it was it an insect bite? Uh, was it something more severe? We just don't know. But we're gonna have to send a reporter to Boulder to figure it out. Like at at some point, I think people will get a little fatigued with that, and at some point, Colorado's got to do something to keep the whole storyline overly relevant because just having a former hall of fame player being a coach in division one college football, that in itself is not that great a story. When you think about it, I think the HBCU story was a better one, quite frankly. I uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm curious as hell. And I was pulling for him to get a job in the sec, although I never thought it would happen because I think it would be like a reality show. It'd be like another last chance for you to, to just tune in every Saturday um, but yeah, uh, every, every one of his games are going to be super, super hyped, particularly in conference play. Well, yeah, you uh, mentioned it when we were discussing the possibility of Georgia tech or Auburn at the time or very early in the season. And Dion's name came up there. It's like, everybody wants to see it for their own different reasons. It's either going to be a massive success or it's going to be a train wreck and either way it goes, it's entertaining. And right. I, that's what a lot of us are looking for. Like, I don't care which way it goes. No question. Just, Let's just see what happens. Like here, like here, this would be if I was, uh, you know, if I was Sam Rothstein of Casino, the master whose real name I think is Rosenthal in, in real life, that whole story. And I was and I was setting the, the Vegas lines as he did, as he was so good at uh, over under years. Dion is in Boulder. And I say to you, Michael Haney, three and a half, three and a hook on Dion. What do you say? Did we lose you? <laughs> or was it that good of a question? Um, repeat it one more time for me. Okay. Just Over under years that Dion under. is the head coach of Boulder, three and a half. Under. Under, yeah. yeah. I, I I think it's under as well. I think it's under as well. I mean, I, I don't see Dion. This is the thing with, with great players that become coaches. Their patience meter is not nearly what the other guys are. Because they can't relate to kids not giving maximum effort, not performing at a maximum level. And if Colorado does what it has done for the last 20 years, which is play mediocre to poor football, I don't see Dion hanging around long. Um, Dion has hired some great coordinators, but at some point, you know, you there's going to be some coaching involved there, and you're not going to have more talent than the than the heavyweights, even when Southern Cal and UCLA leave, I don't think Colorado's going to have the most talented team in the Pac-12. So I would I would go under, but we'll see. Look, uh, you know, he could prove a lot of people wrong, and I'm not saying he's going to fail. I'm not saying he's going to be a smash success. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle, quite frankly, but I don't think the middle is good enough for Dion. He doesn't need the money, not to, to my knowledge. He could always go back to the TV. So we'll see. I would I would take the under on that as well. All right. Well, we will uh, we'll see there. And it would be more entertaining, I guess, if Colorado weren't in the Pac-12 and they were in the Big 12 and, and you know, we could get more of those uh, conference games like that. That's another one that still my brain still goes that they're in the Big 12, but they're not anymore. It's their their Pac-12 team. They're in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember doing a Utah Colorado game the first year they moved and I had to stop myself multiple times from saying, Big 12 for Colorado, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to remind myself Utah is in the Pac-12. Everything about it, it felt weird. And the game was in, in Boulder. But that's that's where we are. I, I might have drifted on conferences there with you. But, yeah, I, I Colorado in the Pac-12 still seems a little bit bizarre. <laughs> but, I mean, look, when Colorado was at its best, their top players were from what state? California. California. California was awfully good to Colorado. And now they are going to be still trying to get players from that state when those two universities are no longer in the Pac-12. And not every fan out there is going to be just hyped up to see UCLA and Southern Cal battling Illinois and Champaign or Rutgers or Northwestern. So maybe that actually works to the benefit of Colorado and Dion. Maybe so. Maybe so. And only time will tell. And uh, with this, moving on to uh, more scheduling stuff and question number five, Mike, we go to the ACC. They also announced their full schedule, and it's the first year in their new model without divisions, a 3-3-5. No, we're not talking about defensive schemes, but the 3-3-5, three permanent, uh, three out of conference, and then five rotational uh, conference opponents, um, Clemson and Florida State uh, will meet September the 23rd. Clemson travels to Miami uh, for the first time since defeating Al Golden's 2015 team, 58 to nothing, uh, by the way. <laughs> so, But uh, again, uh, I, I, I think I like this situation. Uh, and I guess the SEC, uh, only time will tell. I think, I think they're going to get to the point where they are no longer with divisions, but Correct. We will get to a point where we don't have eight years between teams doing a home, uh, a home and away with uh, with conference uh, partners and, and opponents. I mean, it's it's ridiculous that it's in the first time um, that Clemson's going to Miami since 2015. I mean, that that just shouldn't be that shouldn't be a thing. No, it it it, it shouldn't. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the motivation of the model. Is is to avoid that, and you're gonna you're gonna see that eliminated in the SEC, uh, which will lose divisions. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of uh, when. And I I still think we're headed for everything. Maybe this is me being Pollyannish, but it's all going to land at the same time. We're gonna hit that sweet spot with scheduling, with the additions of Oklahoma, Texas, with uh, the the. CBS game of the week on ESPN. Like it's all going to come together in 2024 is my prediction. I could be painfully wrong, but that's just what I feel. And during that time, we certainly won't have divisions and we will have that, the new schedule model in the SEC, similar to what you're seeing in the SC in the ACC, you're going to have uh, your, your permanent opponents, and then you're going to rotate a group of five versus five or six versus six, whatever the numbers wind up uh, being so that you don't go many years at all without so every kid that goes and stays you know four or five years you're going to get a chance to play everybody in your league and that's the way it should be and i think that's what the fans would want uh it's been screwy for a while for whatever reason uh in both these leagues scheduling wise but i think that's going to change and you know for the acc look the acc does a lot of things right let me just say this the acc does a lot of things right the problem is they just haven't been great in football. I, I mean, for every Clemson, there's just been too many stories of programs that you think are going to get over the top that haven't. And then you've had your traditional powers. And I realize Miami just had a top 10 recruiting class. 
And Florida State, I think, is on the rise, having seen them in up up close and personal in, in their bowl game. But when both those programs are down, and NC State does what NC State always does, which is kind of like tease you and flirt with you, and then the moment you're ready to like go into the pearly gates of being really good, well, then they drop the game that they're not supposed to. North Carolina does that a lot. Uh, Virginia Tech, unfortunately, for the league and for them, hasn't been relevant. So you're just relying on Clemson for the last decade, for the most part. And even if Florida State continues to climb, and for that matter, even if Miami does a complete 180, and that's not that's more than a one- or two-year deal, uh, you're you're still in a league that doesn't have the depth, even nearly the depth that the SEC does. But, but I think they do. I think they're doing everything that they can. People point to the TV deal. Look, the TV deal. There, there was no other offers out there. And if you don't sign a long-term deal, schools are going to leave. How many times, Michael, do we hear the rumors this offseason? It's just a matter of time before Clemson and Florida State and Miami go to the SEC. Well, those are people that didn't know any better because if you looked at the true letter of the of the law and the contract, it makes it almost impossible to do that financially. So, yes, they're not making nearly as much money as the Big Ten and the SEC on TV money, and it's going to be that way for a while. However, they're going to be stable. I don't see them losing programs anytime soon. Uh, and I do think that they've done a lot of things right. They're just not as good at college football as the SEC, which could be said about every other league in college football. No doubt. You mentioned uh, ACC. It just has not been good in football, even though they've done uh, other things really well, just to, to back that point up in this past season alone. 10 and 18 against other power five conferences mm. and, and Notre Dame. So uh, when they kick off next season, you got Virginia, uh, they play against Tennessee in Nashville, North Carolina plays South Carolina in Charlotte and Florida state versus LSU in Orlando. Those are all uh, opening weekend games. So uh, a chance to maybe uh, plant the, the stake a little more positively uh, to kick off the 23 campaign uh, for some of those teams in the ACC than they did throughout the rest of uh, 2022. Yeah, and and again, it kind of a, a the new approach means you've got rivalry games like Florida State, Miami, NC State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I mean, they'll remain uh, at at the top, right? They're, they're they'll remain intact, in and then you you'll have some more cross pollination, for lack of a better uh, uh, term. But no, I, I think everything they did with the model makes makes perfect sense. I liked it when I first heard about it when this was rumored a while back, and now you'll see it implemented. And uh, you know they're 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 going to get rid of divisional play. Uh, who is that going to be? So who's going to be left? Is anybody going to have divisional play anymore of the Power Five? Uh, well, the Big think- Ten still has. They still have in the SEC. But but we know the SEC is going to get rid of it. I forgot, and I just had a brain cramp. Has the Big Ten announced? Are they doing anything with their divisions? Or are they going to keep them? We'll we'll look that up. We're we're kind of bouncing all over the place. But I I we're getting to the point where I think divisions are going to go the way of the dodo. Um, the well, you know, I take that back. We talked about this. I don't think the Big Ten has made a commitment to getting rid of divisions. And here's the problem. 
unlike every other league, the Big Ten could be painfully predictable where Ohio State plays Michigan the last week every year of the regular season. That's not going to change. And then what, the Big Ten championship game every year is going to have a rematch of the game we just saw six days ago? That's a problem. So the Big Ten has committed to at least one more year of divisions. And then, hey, don't forget, uh, USC and UCLA come into the league in 2024. And at that point, they uh, have plans to have a completely different model by that point. Right. And and if if Southern Cal gets back to what Southern Cal can, then maybe it becomes less predictable. I don't have as much faith in UCLA uh, rocking the natural order of things, which is Ohio State, Michigan in that league. So, I mean, think about this. You could have Ohio State, Michigan meeting last weekend of every regular season. A week later, let's say it happens four out of five years, they meet in the Big Ten championship game. And then they could meet a third time a few weeks later in a 12-team expanded playoff. I, that Then you start getting Ohio State, Michigan fatigue, I think. But again, that's a lot of ifs. I've just... Uh, It'll I, never I think, happen that way. It'll never happen. That it'll way. never happen that way. I know. Look, everybody thought you could never have uh, Florida State, Miami in different divisions because that they would meet every year in the ACC championship game. Well, that didn't happen because Miami went down the gutter and Florida State has fall, fell on uh, rough times. So it really wasn't even worthy of the, uh, the the concern. But anyway, I digress. All right. Well, Mike, that wraps it up for the uh, whoa hot Haney five topics. So okay. Yeah. Rock and roll. We just kind of uh breezed right through that, if you will. Breeze through it, yeah. And we'll we'll breeze through five more next week and, and get JC's thoughts on um more in depth on what happened in, in recruiting overall. But again, we went through the you know the top teams for you and you can all look it up on twenty four seven or ESPN. I mean not not a ton of surprises, right? Just the uh kind of what we expect. There's a few there's a little new blood in there. Miami at seven. Um, TCU at 19, I mentioned. Utah at 21. Utah. Playoffs. Um, Texas Tech at 26. And Colorado, let me, let me correct something I said. They're 29 as of right now. They didn't quite crack the top 25 yeah. under but Coach Prime. Well, South Carolina did get a bit of a surprise today. Yeah. Um, from what I understand from how the recruiting <laughs> was going, um, it, it was very iffy until the very end. But uh, the Gamecocks did beat out Oregon and uh, Nike's NIL collective <laughs> coming in at the last minute uh, to secure the number one overall athlete, Nicholas Harbor, out of Maryland. Uh, the biggest out-of-state recruit that the Gamecocks have ever secured and uh, right up in that that alley of a of a Jadavion Clowney or a Marcus Lattimore from, uh, for folks that remember those over the last decade. Or so big time get for Shane Beamer and his squad. And you mentioned the key that I think is really encouraging. And, and if if South Carolina as a program is ever going to get to that next level that I know that fan base desperately wants, you need to get top players out of the state, not just in state. Right. I mean, that's what when Clemson really blew up under Dabo, yeah, they they got a ton of great players in the state. But they also started invading Florida, and they also started invading Georgia, and some of their best players came from those states and others. So now they recruit nationally, and that's now they recruit nationally, and that's what that's what Shane Beamer, I'm sure, is is trying to do. Uh, and that's a yeah, that's a huge, huge get. Kid's a great track athlete as well. I think he's going to do both 
with uh, Coach Fry over there as well. All okay. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I saw some video on him running track. It's like freakish. I mean, Jadavion Clowney, we all know, was a freak in his own way. But I I have just if you I've actually covered track meets. I'm blown away by track and field. I think it's the most underrated uh, sport out there, and it's never going to get its due because individual sport and a team sport. But a guy of that size that can do what he does in track and field. That is uh, ultra impressive to me. All right. I know we're we're running short on time. So we have a little bit of pop culture we can throw in here at the end. Now you and I share, and we I, I always kid with JC that he needs to to see more classic movies. And and I have turned away. My wife and I were talking about this the other day, how it used to be like I would take a road trip for work, and the first thing I would do. I would get off that plane, I'd get in my rental car, and I'd go to a movie theater and just roll the dice and see a movie. And sometimes it would be a C plus, and sometimes it would be an A minus, but it killed two hours. I decompressed. It felt good. I ate a crap load of popcorn with extra butter, which is my my biggest vice from the food from a food standpoint. I, when I get into a theater, there's some chemical that infiltrates my brain that says you will eat popcorn for the next two hours and you will not stop. You will absolutely not stop. And that's what I do. And it, it's a good, just uh well, get away from me. Well, now I can't find movies that aren't about comic book characters and aliens and, and, and stuff like that. And that's and again, if you're into that, God bless you. It's not for me. Okay. And you know this, Michael, I'm, I can be a little stubborn. I'm not all of a sudden going to become a Marvel guy. Just this is not my thing. Okay. So um I I need to see <laughs> the last couple of movies I've rolled the dice on. Um one was the menu, which is I don't know, you might actually like it, Michael. It's I came away thinking, what the hell was that? And then I was like, you know what? That wasn't bad. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. Did you didn't see it, did you? I have seen it, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay, what did you think? Uh, same thing. I, I wasn't yeah. sure what to expect. I was, uh, I was prepared to, uh, watch through my fingers cause I thought oh, this is going to be get gross and, and weird. And I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm in for here, but it was yeah. as graphic. Uh, it certainly has some graphic moments. It does. It was not overly graphic for what it, what it led itself, at least in my mind to be. See, I, I, I went in cold. Like I didn't even expect it to be graphic. I didn't know what the hell it was about. I was like, all right, now the menu. It's I, I read like a three sentence synopsis, which which could make anything sound like Citizen Kane, and I was like, oh, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And I was like, yeah, it was all right, it was all right. Then the last one was with uh, Brandon Fraser, who plays an obese man who's just it's dark. The whale. The whale. Yeah. The whale. Did you see that too? I've not seen that one yet. Okay, I'm not recommending this, folks, but I'm just telling you it's it's dark. Brennan's wearing a big fat suit, and honestly, it's not one I I would ever want to see again. Uh, but I'm desperate. I'm desperate to see movies. So for people like me that aren't exactly enthralled with modern day Hollywood, what do we do? What do we resort to? We watch the same damn films that we loved. In the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, when, for my money, movies were a lot better. And there's a guy who used to be prominent. Uh, I first started reading his stuff on what they called like, the ESPN page three. And then he, he started his own thing. And 
became, you know, multimillionaire. His name is Bill Simmons, Boston sports guy. And I, I'd lost track of what Bill was doing. And somebody recommended, he's like, Mike, I'm telling you, this is right up your alley. He's got a podcast called The Rewatchables. And what The Rewatchables is, <laughs> he takes movies that he has liked from his childhood and beyond. They, Him and whoever sits in with him, it's a kind of a rotating panel. They they go over the movie, and they just break it down for an hour, two hours. Boogie Nights, it was four hours, um, and and, and just just go. And, and it's amazing how many of the movies they pick are some of my favorite movies or movies I can't help. They're, they're remote drops. When I see them on cable, I don't seek them out. Right, I don't go. You know, let's go get the old DVD and watch Goodfellas for the one hundredth time. But it's on everywhere. You can't, it's on channels I've never even heard of. And I just see it on the guy and I'm like, oh yeah, good fellas. And if you're a, if you're a pro with the remote control, like I am, if you're a, if you're a remote control savant and you have an internal clock, you can watch something like the NFC championship game. And you know, the commercial break is about to be two and a half, three minutes. And you can hit the previous channel button, go to good fellas, enjoy uh, the scene at the bar. Hey, go get your shine box. And then when the two and a half minutes is up, your internal clock says, "Up, oh, Mike, back to the game." Hit the previous channel button, and it goes right back to the game. And we're setting up the big critical third down and eight. What do you think here? I don't know, Jim. Um, well, Tony Romo. And then, and then you know, you just go. So, like, this is this is the kind of stuff I'm angry at Bill Simmons because. Michael, you and I should have came up with this idea. I think he started it in 2019. We should have been doing this years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it's a wheelhouse thing, man. Wheelhouse thing. We could have done this, but I've got to convince you, like we talked about before. I'm, I'm, I like to mention it in this forum. So again, with the program, level, there's some level of accountability. You've got to watch the program. I will. Wa- I, I don't have like. I, what do you want me to do? buy it on pay per view? Where there is a will, there is a way. All right, all right. I'll spend the five bucks to watch a a, a certifiable two star movie, um, which, as I've said, is not always a bad thing. Roadhouse is a two star movie, and you know what? I watch it whenever it's on. But you know what? You love Norm Macdonald, and this this goes back uh, to you, <laughs> you listening out there. This goes back to Mike's stubbornness. He loves Norm Macdonald. Yes, and Norm Macdonald has a classic piece of Norm Macdonald cinema called Dirty. Oh, no, Work, no, and you no, have never. No once given dirty not true i gave it i gave it 20 minutes of my time in honor of and i couldn't take it anymore oh it's it's not because of norm just the movie is awful i mean it's not meant to be good it's meant to be norm mcdonald doing what norm mcdonald does if i want norm i can go on youtube and watch his stand-up i can watch his specials i can watch him on snl when he was the one guy that had the the, the gall to say every O.J. Simpson story that he went through in 94, 95 murderer O.J. Simpson in the news. Um, and that's why he got fired off Saturday Night Live, because one of the brass there was buddies with O.J. But anyway, um, no, I, I love Norm, but I, I can't get into dirty work. But the dirty work is not on here, Michael. Th- these are movies that actually people go out of their way. Well, dirty work is on my list. Okay. So if it's on, I can sit down and I can watch the rest of that. All movie. right. Well, so here's what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to go through a list of these. This is our final thing. And you guys that just and gals that just hate movies in general, you can you can turn off the podcast right now. For those of you that are wired similarly to 
myself, Michael, JC to an extent, and millions and millions of others, you know, you know who we are. You'll perhaps enjoy this. When I mention the movie, is it a fiver, a dimer, or more? In other words, have you seen it at least five times, ten times, or more? When I say seen it, I don't mean sit from the beginning to the end. But when it's on, let's say there's an hour left, you're you're watching that hour, okay? Let you're, you're so that counts as a view. That counts as a view, even if you don't see it from actual beginning to end. All right, so these are some of the movies he's picked out over the last few years. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Fiber, dimer, less. Oh, oh, that's a dimer, man. That's that's a that's a for me. I've got to come up with a separate category. For my money, you've seen the poster I have of Shawshank Redemption. I've got a few mo- movie posters at the house. I don't know if there's a better movie that's ever been made. I don't know if there's uh, been a better duo in a movie than Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. I would say I've seen at least parts of this movie 50 times. There's a select few movies like this. It's Shawshank. It's Jaws. uh, It's Goodfellas, Casino. those uh, Those would be part of that kind of elite group. Where do you stand on Shawshank? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's an all time movie, man. There's there's no doubt about that. The fact that it's constantly playing and and it is that movie that you can sit down and watch at any point and, and come right back in and know exactly where where things are. Um, yeah, it's a classic. You're, I think you're right. I don't know that there's been one that's been I mean, there's a lot of great movies. Like so to, to put that kind of um, you know, to put that kind of weight on it uh, is hard, but. Yeah, man. I mean, Shawshank is an all-timer. And like you said, it's a, a dimer. Absolutely. I've, you know, it's seen it 30, 40, 50 times. You got to remember there, there, are, there are some movies that are great, but you don't have the stomach to watch them more than a couple of times. Right. So sure. it's, so just because it's a great movie doesn't mean that you're going to invest that kind of time. But for some reason, that's a movie that whenever it's on, it, you're, you're locked in. Right. Like the menu, I'm not going to go out of my way Heck to no. watch again. No, but it was fine. It was fine. It it killed an hour and a half and I'm good. I can tell you that I saw it. I can right. try to guide you if you want to see the movie. Uh, right. or not, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Jodie Foster and the accused was was a, a heavy movie, but an incredible film based on a true story. Do I want to see that again? No, no, that's that's not that's not one for me. Uh, uh, Wall Street. You know that's one. Uh, it's it's not even uh, not even a fiver for me. I, I haven't not even a fiver. Okay, that that's a dimer for me. No country for old men. Uh, that's a fiver, but that's also one that's very difficult at times to to watch. But I've I've definitely I'm in that fiver closing in on dimer range. I, I'm a fiver on no country. I've probably seen it right around five six times, and you're right. Like it's it's not easy to digest. But the acting is so damn good. And the story, that's the Cohen brothers, right? Correct. And and they're I mean, they're known for comedies. And yeah, somehow they come up came dark, up with dark comedy. I mean, everything to, to it is tinged in uh in tragedy, you know. So did, lot, well, they didn't do no, okay. I'm I'm mixing up brothers. Who did there's something about Mary? Oh, that's the Fairley brothers. That's the fairly. <laughs> 
<laughs> entirely different brothers. Entirely different brothers. Yeah, let's do the Fairly Brothers version of No Country for. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. All of a sudden, uh, the main character has hair gel, and we don't know how or why. No, I I don't know. Um, Javier Bardem's uh, hair would have looked totally different if the, <laughs> the Fairly Brothers would have done it. That would have been a that would have been a very interesting twist to that movie. Uh, Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom, uh, that is that's a that's a fiver. Um, okay, that's uh, that's between a five and a and a dimer. Yeah, that's a dimer for me. That's uh, saw it first when I was a little kid, and when when it's on, it's peak Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton in that movie, and Night Shift, very underrated film. Um, that's when his career blew. I I don't care about Batman. I never even saw Batman. Are you gonna shame me that I, I never saw Batman? I mean, I feel like you should have at least seen it once. You never saw it once? Not like, five minutes. Not even in, in passing at all? I mean, not I, even five. I know he was in it. I know Kim Basinger was in it. My yeah. arguments, I know we've had this conversation before, so I'll double down on it here in, in a public forum. The original Batman with Keaton and, and Nicholson is worth watching, and The Dark Knight uh, with Heath Ledger is worth watching. It, it don't Don't take them as comic book movies and comic book heroes take them as their own standalone. Okay. Like those are, those alone are, are worth watching. You don't have to invest, you know, your life and time into continuing on anymore after that. But I feel like as someone that enjoys movies and enjoys great characters, uh, those two versions of Batman have got some of the best. It, does the focal point character have superhero uh, powers? Well, Batman doesn't have superpowers. He's just a vigilante. He just got a lot of wonderful toys, as Jack Nicholson says, is the joke. Okay. Where does he get those wonderful toys? But do, do people like fly around and, and shoot not, missiles not out in, of their hands? Yeah, not in, No, no, it doesn't no. have anything to do with that. All right. He's just a billionaire that's, uh, that's a vigilante because he's angry that he watched his parents get murdered in an alley. Mike, that's the, that's the origin of Batman. You know that much, right? Does he wear it? No, I honestly know nothing. I, I didn't read comic books as a kid. I watched NFL uh, films. Does he have a cape? He does have a cape. Okay, well, there you lost me right there. If wears, a guy has a cape, I'm already there's a rubber bat suit. That's uh, that, OK. Boot. I'm already out. I'm already you got a cape. You lost me. Yeah, like I just I can't I can't get into a slowly chip away at these walls and slowly, slowly <laughs> grown man with a cape. I just. You know, I, I'd rather watch the Mountain West late night football game uh, on the DVR. Swingers. Oh, swingers. That's between a fiver and a dime or two. I don't know the exact number, but but, but yeah. Yeah, that's that a, is a dimer dimer plus for me. I remember a friend of mine introduced me to that movie when it first came out. And I'm like, swingers with who? This guy named Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. I'm like, who the hell are they? I. I got nothing. All right, I'll wrap this up because I know hey, we got to go. By here. the way, by the way, real quick, a quick yeah. aside. You know, you don't you hate the comic book movies? Yes. Swingers. John Favreau wrote and directed Swingers, and you know, I know he's he's now a Marvel guy. He is the Mister Comic Book Movie. I know, I know. Yeah, you know, and, and God bless him. He's cashing in. Look, none of us are going to turn down that money. It, it, you know, if they ask me to write a a comic book for a hundred million dollars, I'm well, I'm going to come up with money. Uh, passionate about it it's it comes through because why they've all been so good yeah he's been a part of anyway hey i'll i'll wear a cape for for 10 grand i'll wear a cape for a whole month all right all right um I, 
we've we've got a we've got a listener out there ten thousand dollars let's get morgan in a cave let's start a gofundme morgan in a cave for 10 grand broadcast and we're like what the hell's up with that mike this you want me to wear a mask for 20 grand i'll throw in a mask maybe a shield uh all right one more before we sign off and then we'll do more of this uh maybe next week because i can't get enough of this karate kid oh dimer Dimer that's 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 a dimer times five in uh uh, i I love the cobra kai uh spin on netflix because it doesn't take itself seriously it's very self-aware and i love the way that they've expanded that world and continued on um as adults so yeah karate karate kid dimer uh, cobra kai on on netflix All, all of the karate kids and then the expanded uh, world of uh, Karate Kid and the Cobra Kai on Netflix, top notch in my book, love it. Karate Kid Three is a disgrace to American film. Just just watch the first one, and there's nothing more of a buzzkill when you see Karate Kid on the guy. There's nothing on, and you're like, yes, maybe this is maybe this is the scene where Larusso uh, goes to the dance dressed as a shower, and then you look at the guy, and it's it's Will Smith's kid. No offense, cute kid, loved him in um, uh, what's the movie where he plays the uh, the the investment banker in california makes it big and his son is in that movie he's great in that movie but i don't need to see a remake of karate kid with will smith's uh son no offense uh by the way one one underrated one i bet you haven't seen can't buy me love uh, i have seen that but okay. i it's not it's not in the in the fiverr club it's not a fiverr dime and i agree with that i've probably seen it Maybe three, four times, but uh, underrated flick. I uh, want to remind everybody, Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com, one of our proud sponsors here of JC and Morgan. Uh, if you haven't already checked out the website, do so. Pick a pair, get your measurements, get the order in, deliver it at your door. Be dressed for success. Look and feel your very best. That's BlueDeltaJeans.com. I think they just celebrated their 11th year where they started in the state of Mississippi, and now they have become like a national powerhouse. The the brand is that good. The quality of the merchandise is just that good. Michael, this has been fun. We'll uh, reunite with our partner in crime, JC, next week. And we appreciate everybody tuning in once again. For Michael Haney, this is Mike Morgan. We'll see you next time on JC and Morgan.